Thank you, Deacon Weow, and uh, thank you also to uh, Lacey for leading us in that time of very spirited uh, singing on praise and worship uh, to our Lord. Yep. Um, welcome to the All-Age service. Uh, it's been some time since we had an All-Age service, and I really want to welcome uh, especially all the children who are in the midst of us uh, and uh, who are watching and tuning in to this service. Uh, we warmly welcome you. Yep. Okay, I want to begin by asking a very simple question, and that is uh, to get us to do a little bit of a quiz time. So let me just... So discuss with your neighbour or with your family, okay? Um, and, and really list down the first three words that comes to your mind or that you would associate with the word law. Okay, so when you think law, you think fill in the blanks, okay? Um, if some of the children find law a little bit too abstract for them, they can think about rules, think along the line of rules, okay? So I'll give everybody a moment to do that. You might just want to think in your head and yeah, what comes to your mind, okay? Word association game. What will be some of the thoughts? Well, maybe for some of us, we might think of restriction, right? Restriction, the law restricts us, rules restrict us, okay? Um, if not, we think of it as a burden, the law as a burden, we've got to keep it, so it's really burdensome and uh, troublesome, um, and associated with that, it's painful, okay? Why do you have so many laws, it's so painful to keep it? Huh? Um, yet others, uh, perhaps the first thought that comes to their mind might be, the idea of break it. If there's a law, I will break it. If there's a rule, I will break it. Okay? Maybe that's our first and natural instinct. Um, yet for others, it might be the opposite. It might obey it. If there's a law, obey it. If there's a rule, obey it. Right? Um, some others, perhaps, we might think, thank God for the law. Huh? Thank God that we have the law. That's why we have an orderly society and everything can go well. Okay? Yet, there might be a group of us, uh, perhaps not many, but maybe a minority. Uh, yeah, and um, you might say, I love the law. <laughs> I, I love the law and I love keeping the law. And when I keep the law, it gives me a sense of satisfaction. Yeah, it enables me to feel righteous and, and feel good and right about myself. Yeah? For us as Singaporeans, uh, maybe a good phrase to summarize our attitude to the laws and rules might really be the following, okay? That is, law? yeah, just follow law, okay? Okay, there's a bit of a um, yeah, little, uh, uh, what do you call it, colloquial slang in there, um, yep. And uh, please, uh, for the children who are taking your English oral exams, please, don't say this, okay, because I will not be held responsible for the grades that you get, okay? But generally, you can say that this, this whole phrase here really captures the attitude of us as Singaporeans, right? Law? yeah, uh, very simple. Just follow law, you know, just, just follow it. Uh. Yeah. After all, we as Singaporeans are really known to be quite a compliant lot, huh? when you think about it. So what about God's law? What about God's law? What should our attitude be towards God's law? Okay, should it be the same? Hiya, just follow law. If God give us law, then we just follow law. Huh? Should that be the same kind of attitude that we have? Well, to teach us a little bit more about God's law, I've actually managed to catch hold of uh, this video of an Israelite father and son. Okay, and they will do the duty of explaining to us more about God's law that was given through Moses to them. Okay, so let's welcome the father. Yetman and son 
Jonathan. Jonathan, Jonathan, it's time for your Jewish law class. What were you doing before that? Well, Father Yetman, I was trying to do a bit of math before this. Came across this really difficult math question. Which one? Let me have a look. You know, son, your father was a math genius in his day. This question, father, it's a question from an exam all the way in Singapore. Helen and Ivan had the same number of coins. Helen had a number of 50 cent coins and 64 20 cent coins. Helen's coins had a total mass of 1.134 kg. Ivan had a number of 50 cent coins and 104 20 cent coins. Who had more money in coins and by how much? Given that each 50 cent coin is 2.7 grams more heavier than a 20 cent coin, was the mass of Ivan's coins in kilograms? Oh, uh, that's quite easy. Uh, well, the answer is... Oh, never mind. So difficult. Huh? Good thing that our lives don't depend on solving this question. Who goes around carrying so many coins anyway, right? Just bang the coins in the POSB or the OCBC ATM machines. Anyway, son Jonathan, math and exam are not the most important things in life. There's more important things like God's law, which he gave to us. So time for Torah revision. Yay, time for Torah revision. Mm, very good, if only all children were like you. Okay, let's begin. <clears throat> Can you start by reciting to me the Ten Commandments? Okay, I'll try. <clears throat> Commandment 1. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment 2. You shall not make for yourself idols or bow down to idols. Commandment 3. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Commandment 4. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Commandment 5. Honour your father and mother. Commandment 6. You shall not murder. Commandment 7. You shall not commit adultery. Commandment 8. <clears throat> you shall not steal. Commandment 9. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. And Commandment 10. You shall not desire and covet what your neighbour has. That is, make what is his, yours. Wow, I'm impressed. You actually know it all. I actually have a Bible with me. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see, son. Huh? But you know what, son, Jonathan? Your answer is almost perfect, except for one thing that you missed out. You actually missed out a very important verse in reading out the Ten Commandments. Actually, it's not just you. But a lot of people actually miss out on this verse when quoting the Ten Commandments. And it's none other than this one. Exodus 22. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, son, this verse tells us very importantly what was the situation that led to God giving his people the Ten Commandments. It was because our great God had rescued and redeemed us so that we are now his people. 
that he gives us his commandments. This is to show us how we should live as his rescue and redeem people. Meaning, okay, just to make myself clearer, it's not that we follow the Ten Commandments to become God's people. Rather, it is because we are already God's people that we follow the Ten Commandments. So the order is very, very important. I see. It's just like there are family rules in every family, right? And we don't follow those family rules in order to become part of the family. Rather, it's because we are already part of the family that we follow the family rules. Exactly. Hmm, that's quite a good example, huh? Uh, to help us think about it, actually. Hmm. Wow, son, you show great potential in becoming a theologian. <laughs> okay, if you understand the above, then today's lesson will be quite straightforward. Today, we will go through some more laws and some more rules that God gave us. What in Hebrew is known as mishpat or law. Now, there are many, many, many specific laws and rules here. But the big picture that I want you to see is that all these laws and rules are derived or they flow from the Ten Commandments. You could think of all these laws and rules as further expansions of what God said in the Ten Commandments. In other words, the Ten Commandments are the universal laws pertaining to any society of God's redeemed people, whereas the detailed laws and rules are specific expansions or applications of the Ten Commandments to us Israelites in our Israelite history. Okay. Hmm. Let me try to rephrase what you are telling me. Ten Commandments are God's law for his people everywhere. And in a, every time where the laws and rules are for us Israelites in a specific time and place now, especially after our rescue from Egypt. Yes, exactly. Something like that. Hmm. So with that in mind, let me try to quickly break down all the rules for you here into categories. Okay, there's quite a lot of categories because we are dealing with a huge portion of scripture from Exodus 21 all the way to Exodus 23. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. The laws and the rules. Category one. These are laws regarding our dealings with slaves. Category two. What to do when we deliberately or accidentally hurt another person, okay? Then category 2A has laws regarding striking or cursing one's parents. Category 2B has laws regarding trading of human persons or what is known today as human trafficking. Category 3, okay, laws regarding hurt to another person because of one's cattle, okay, like an ox that gores another person. Okay, category four, laws regarding stealing or theft. Category five, laws regarding our own possessions or the possessions of others in which we have the duty of care. That means we have to take care of those belongings. Okay, category six, laws regarding our sexual behavior and not allowing sorcery or idolatry. Category seven, Laws regarding how we treat the marginalized and the outsiders. Category 8, laws regarding remaining holy to God. Category 9, laws regarding not giving false testimony or perverting justice. Category 10, 
laws regarding the Sabbath and the festivals. Wow. Father, there's a lot of laws and rules. But you are right. The way these laws are presented help to explain more the Ten Commandments. For example, categories 8 and 10 expand on the first four commandments. Category 2A expands on the fifth commandment. Honor your parents. Category 2 expands on the sixth commandment. Do not murder. Category 6 expands on the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. Category 4 expands on the eighth commandment. Do not steal. Category 9 expands expands on the ninth commandment do not bear false witness and categories one and five have something to do with the tenth commandment not coveting a neighbor's possessions that's right son jonathan i'm proud of you so can you see how the ten commandments are universal in this way in that they apply to god's people and god's society anytime and everywhere but the laws and rules that you see before you now, they apply to the Israelite society back then. These laws and rules, however, they all come from the Ten Commandments. I think I'm beginning to see it, Father Yetman. That's good. More importantly, can you see how all these many laws and rules that are stated, they are really meant to point us to the lawmaker and the rule maker himself. Okay. Now, in reading through these laws, I'll just pick out two or three of them for us, okay? Not all of them, but just some of them. So let's look at this one. Exodus 21, 12. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Or this one, this interesting one, Exodus 21, 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fine as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay lie for lie, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike. Right? And the last one, just to show you, Exodus 22, 1. Okay. This is regarding stealing of ox. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall pay double. Can we see that in all these laws, there is one striking characteristic that stands out? And that is, these are very fair laws, right? If there's punishment to be given, punishment is given. But it is done in such a manner that it is just right. Not too laxed, not too much punishment too. But the punishment is given in accordance with the crime or the wrong committed. And all the fairness of these rules and laws show us the fairness of the lawgiver. God is fair. 
He is fair because in a strange way, he is just and merciful at the same time. And all his laws and rules here reveal God's fairness. Yeah, well, if this is a God who rescued us and called us to be his new people, to live under the rules and laws of his new society, then it is surely good to know that this is a fair God, a God who is just and merciful at the same time. Yes, it is, son. I just have one last thing to share with you. And that is, if God is this good God, this fair and just God, then there are at least three groups of people who will really like to be living in God's new society under his rules and his laws. Meaning, it's particularly good for these three good groups of people to be living in God's new society for his people. Who are they? First, slaves. You see, son? If you had no choice but to be a slave back in those days, you would want to be an Israelite slave. Why? Have a look at this. Exodus 21 too. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. In the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and the children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. You see, as an Israelite slave, you are not forever bound to your master. You have the choice as an Israelite slave of deciding for yourself in the seventh year. Very different from the other cultures, where once you are a slave, you are a slave for life, and you don't have a choice, right? The second group, let's look at that. Exodus 21.7 When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment or money. Here you see, son, women and female slaves, they are treated with fairness and dignity. Once again, it's very different from the other cultures back then. Finally, the third group, Exodus 22, 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. See the aliens, the fatherless, the widows, in other words, those who were marginalized back then, those who tend to be forgotten, God does not forget them, and he specially looks out for them. All these three groups of people would especially love to live in God's land under his rules and laws. In fact, it's not just these three groups, but it is all of us, isn't it? Wouldn't we love to live in a land where we are under the rule of a fair God, a God who is overflowing with justice and mercy. Well, Father, 
I certainly would love to live under such a god. But before we go further, I would like to ask you another rare question based on what we have learned from today. <laughs> wow, math. I'm gain anytime. Bring it on, son. Well, here it is. <clears throat> Helen and Ivan are Israelites and both have the same number and both had the same number of coins. Helen had a number of 50 cent coins and 64 20 cent coins. Ivan had a number of 50 cent coins and 104 20 cent coins. Ivan leads 10 cent coins to Helen every year, and Helen in turn leads 4 to 50 cent coins to Ivan every year. If the normal interest rate for lending coins is one coin of the same value out of four coins lent every year, what A, what is the value of the money that Helen earns from the interest? B, what is the value of money that Ivan earns from the interest? Hmm. 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 I give up. I give up. Too complicated <laughs> for me. Do you know the answer? <laughs> Father, here's the answer. The answer for both questions is zero. Zero? How come? Well, father, you who taught me the law. Slide Exodus 22-25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. And you shall not exact interest from him. No interest equals zero amount earned from both interest from interest. So the answer is zero in both cases. <laughs> okay, I want to thank the uh, father and son team, Father Yetman and son Jonathan, for really guiding us uh, through today's uh, lesson on the Jewish law. Now, I just have uh, three very quick points to bring us through as we wrap things up here. Yep, uh, Three points regarding God's law and us today. So, go up the slide. The first point. Start thinking law and grace rather than law versus grace. See, I think that when it comes to the relationship between law and grace, too many of us within the church have been somewhat used to thinking of it along the lines of law versus grace. That is, we see the two as opposites, as opposed to one another. So here is where I really want to change our mindsets to stop thinking of law versus grace and to start thinking of law and grace instead. Here's two reasons why we should stop thinking of law versus grace. Okay? For one, the first reason, whenever we see the relationship between law and grace as one of opposition versus, we are actually pitting one divine attribute or one characteristic of God against another. We are actually pitting his justice against his mercy. But we can't do that. Because God is one. And all of his divine attributes or all of his divine characteristics are one. Meaning, God is not just love, one attribute. Grace, another attribute. Then justice, yet another attribute. And wrath, yet another attribute. Yeah, we shouldn't think of God this way. But he is love, 
slash grace slash justice slash wrath together. So I actually think that thinking of law and grace rather than law versus grace, it's more true to the being and the character of who God is. The second reason for why we should think of law and grace rather than law versus grace, you see, I want to say that all the problems when it comes to relating the law and us today actually arise from this fundamentally misguided way of thinking law versus grace. So think about it. Look at legalism. Legalism, which is works righteousness, depending on our works to be in a right relationship with God. Right? So legalism could express itself in that way. Legalism could also show itself as what I call works holiness. That means we depend on our works to accomplish our holiness, to accomplish our sanctification. Yeah? Now, these two forms of legalism, whether it's works legalism or holiness legalism, they really arise from a law versus grace way of thinking, isn't it? It's got to be strictly only one, either or. So in the case of legalism, I choose law. Then on the other end, the other end of the spectrum, you have what you call lawlessness, okay? Or the technical word is antinomianism. Here's where we think that because we are under grace, we are no longer under law. That means I can discard, I can throw away God's law in my life. In fact, in some circles, that is translated even to a form of teaching that tells you you should not even try to live a holy life. Because whenever you and I try to live a holy life, we are actually moving away from grace and moving back to law. Can you see? In such a thinking, it is still because of this wrong paradigm. Law versus grace, isn't it? It's got to be strictly only one. So in the case of lawlessness, I go only with grace. Yeah? But right thinking, and from right thinking really comes right actions, always begin with seeing law and grace. The two come together because they are from the one God. Grace is what leads us to be in a position to be able to follow God's law in the first place. Exodus 22. But grace is given to us so that we can follow God's law. So that we can live as God's society of his redeemed people in the way that he has intended. And as we follow God's law, when we fail, when we slip, that's when we find that we are not alone. But God's grace surrounds us. God's grace sustains us. The second point, God's law reveals God, the lawmaker. We've seen that from today's passage, haven't we? How all the laws reveal, if anything, the fairness of Yahweh. The Lord is a fair God. He dishes out his justice appropriately. Not too little, such that there is injustice, yet not overbearing, such that there is absolutely no mercy. But in the fairness of the laws is found the strange combination of justice and mercy. The fairness of the laws is meant to reveal the fairness of God. 
And of course, we see this fairness most fully displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, where justice and mercy perfectly meet together. The third point, the Ten Commandments are universal for God's people every time and everywhere, while the Israelite laws are specific to their time and context. Which means wherever we live as the people of God, the Ten Commandments are still binding on us because that is how God intended for the society of his redeemed people to live. His society across all times, all cultures, this is how God intends for the very people he has redeemed to live their lives so that society would flourish and grow. While the Israelite laws are, you could say, an application of the Ten Commandments for their society back then in their specific time and context, and what we really need to do as careful listeners today is to draw out the right principles from those laws as they relate in turn back to the Ten Commandments. Or better still, because you and I are now followers of Jesus, because you and I are now spirit-filled people, we can come right down to the intent of the Ten Commandments and the laws. We can do like what Jesus does in the very Sermon of the Mount itself, to go right down beyond the letter of the law to the very spirit of the law. So may God indeed speak to us today that we may so love him and love his law that you and I no longer say, God's law, I uh, just follow law. But instead, that in listening to God's word today, in listening to how the laws display God's fairness and how he has given Israel, the Israelites the law so that they can live as his redeemed people by grace, that all this may lead us to say instead, God's law? Hooray! I want to follow lay. Because the goodness of the law points us to the goodness of God. Psalm 1-2 Blessed is the man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you that you give us your grace. And thank you that you give us your law that indeed you show to us that this is how we are to live as your redeemed people, chief of all and above all in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that strengthened by your grace, we may be enabled to say that we so love the law because it displays the marvellous character of our lawgiver, you yourself. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>